0: Hello, and welcome to Tabletop Game Talk, Role Playing Games Edition. Normally, we talk about all kinds of stuff, but today we're going to talk about specifically role playing games. Why am I reading it like this? Because I didn't like the copy that Chris wrote. So, <laughs> so I made my own copy. So you're
1: making it up on the fly. <laughs> yes. Uh, who are you? Uh,
2: oh, yes. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. I'm Spencer, your special
1: guest co host. And I am Chris. Um, there's nothing special. This week
3: is already off the rails, but we'll be talking about the threats and challenges in role-playing games and how we keep the story moving forward if the players fail, like they have already in this podcast, to overcome challenges. And while... There are certainly arguments for why a game must just end or a storyline will stop if the players fail at something. In most cases, this doesn't make for a very interesting game. So how should we, the game master, set an appropriate challenge level? When should a die roll define the fate of the storyline? And should there ever be a path that is cut off from pay- players due to an unlucky event? We're on fire.
1: And my favorite part is Kitty read the whole thing with her, cheek in her, with her fist in her cheek. Head tilted at forty five degrees.
3: Like falling asleep. <laughs> it has been a long day after a long weekend.
1: For those who are listening on Tuesday, keep in mind we're recording this on Monday night, Memorial Day evening in America. This is a have your family over, cook barbecue, hit in the you know stand in the sun all day long holiday.
2: And we did that. We did. And that. we did that. It was good. <laughs> yes, it was fun. It was fun kid- for me.
1: Kitty's tired.
3: I got my kid a sandbox. There's sand everywhere. But he's so happy. (laughs)
1: Yeah. My kid has new shoes that he can pull on himself. And he just will now just take them off all the time and say, Daddy, put my shoes back on. Like, you can do it yourself. "Mm, Daddy, do it. Okay. Um, But anyway, before we talk about anything else, we should say thank you to our Patreon friends of the show. Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, Sahara Wentworth, and The Gift of Games in Lake, Illinois. And a huge thank you to all of our other patrons. If you want to join us live on Zoom, um, and also special shout out and thanks to the people who are joining, join us now on Memorial Day evening because it's exhausting. Um, we have, we have Darren, Sean, Matthew, Michael, and Terrence. And yeah, so we're, we're all running on fumes. This episode is going to be one of the best, I think, probably. Uh, but if you want to join us on Zoom, tabletopgametalk.com slash live, 830s central um fletcher how was your memorial day
0: my memorial day was good it doesn't sound like as exhausting as your guys's uh because it was just carmen and i and just went outside grilled some stuff and uh, it was good we just like watched a movie and uh, ate hot dogs and
1: wait things did you say went outside and killed some stuff grilled grilled oh okay so it it was already (laughs) killed before you grilled it got it okay um yes that's fair
2: um kitty do you remember what life was like before we had children and it was easy and fun like <laughs> life?
1: <laughs> oh. no oh. you sort of block it out of your head like like I it's remember fun it-
2: you love your children you get to hug them and then you just hate yourself constantly because you have a headache because you don't sleep and you're stressed and they're running
0: around and making a mess
3: yeah no it's great you should have your head <laughs> you should
0: you should have kids it's fun. Yeah. you guys you guys aren't selling it, you know, honestly. You're not. Not today. I,
3: Sometimes honest, I sell it. Sometimes I'm so excited <laughs> to have kids. But today I'm tired.
1: <laughs> Zachary was, like, angelic all day long. But he was there all day long. And, like, he just wanted to be huggy and cuddly and all, all of the things that make it, like, great. We went to the ice cream shop and he had ice cream. And then we went and found french fries. And he was eating french fries outside. And he was just so happy about everything all day long. And that's taxing, because I'm like, I had no excuse to just try to disappear for a few hours, because I'm like, you're being good. I'm just going to be around you. And I didn't get my dad nap. But... Um, I mean,
3: you just described every day of my life.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, It could be worse. Um, yeah. Also, this weekend, we had people over. Uh, Terrence came over. And then our friend Doug, our mutual friend Doug. And then Eric, We also had Doug over. We also Doug's had other just, people over. Yeah, Doug's, Doug's all making over. making the rounds. Yeah, um, everyone's back. <laughs> I, I saw
0: Terrence. I saw Terrence on uh, Thursday because he was very gracious and gave me. You can't see it because it's doing the exact same thing that he tried to do when he showed it <laughs> off. But Gloomhaven jaws, jaws of the lion. Um, he gave me his punch copy. Um, so I'm very grateful for Terrence for giving me a copy that
1: I am excited to play. And I honestly so. think that you can get Carmen in on that because those first five missions just kind of walk you through everything. So give it a shot. Say, hey, just play the first few missions with me. If you don't like it, that's fine. I'll continue on my own, but see, see if she'll, she's interested in it. It, it might I grab I still me. have so. not played
2: Gloomhaven. Is it like, does it live up to the hype? Is it that much fun? It it's is a fun game.
1: Yeah. It is. It doesn't deserve three slots in the top ten, but it deserves its <laughs> one because it I is mean, that's a, pretty good.
2: Like that, yeah. that what else can you ask
1: yeah. of a game? It is a yeah. it is a fine fine game. I think Jaws of the Lion is probably the iteration that if you haven't played it at this point, that's the iteration people should start with. And if you want more after the fifty hours or so that's in that box, then you can go ahead and go into gloomhaven which is another 300 hours and then frosthaven which will be another 300 hours. Um it's a lot of content. And there's an expansion for that too. So, yeah. It's good. Oh, let's see. I did a couple more YouTube videos. Kitty, you Actually ne- neither of you, none of you are patrons to our channel, right? So when I post something on Patreon, you don't actually see any of those posts. No, that's correct.
2: I think I subscribed on YouTube, but I'm subscribed to a lot of stuff on YouTube, and I don't watch (laughs) any of it.
3: No, you have to give him money if you want to get these updates. I have the. I don't give
2: anybody money. (laughs) Somebody
3: (laughs) shared the link with me for our um, podcast extra. So if you like release extra audio into the RSS, I get that, but I I don't get the Patreon updates through my email.
1: Well,
2: I I should probably do that, Chris. If I wanted to give you money. Could you explain to me orally on this recorded line how I would do that?
1: I could. You would go to tabletopgametalk.com slash patreon, which would take you directly to our Patreon page, and you can back us and at any level. And there's a link in
3: the show notes too.
1: And there's a link this in the, is the show notes. My <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I posted something on there because it's a YouTube video that I recorded that I'm not a hundred percent sure I should release into the wild, so I wanted to get the patrons' opinions first. And that is a series that I've been told I should do for quite some time, which is Drunken Chris reads the rules. So I just posted a video where I read the rules. It's to like re- drunk history, but but it's,
0: Drunken Chris
1: reads. Chris, Chris, like- Chris, did I
2: tell you that, or did I just think it loudly? Because I also have
1: wanted this for a while. This is something that's been like six or seven years now. Where okay. yeah, so so I did it with. This was after our Friday night D anD. D uh, which I happened, I've, I've just
3: heavily off the rails. Look, just because
2: I want yes. to do something that makes no sense to everyone else doesn't mean it's quote unquote off the rails.
1: <laughs> I I felt it was fine, although I don't remember the tail end of it. So you'll remind me later. Which was perfect don't worry, timing. That's where
3: it went off the rails. There was like a lot of um, Cold War kind of. Yeah, we can discuss this after the credits.
1: <laughs> that's fair. There's
3: a lot to unpack there.
1: All right. So anyway, after that, I decided to do a recording and Sydney came on the video with me because I'm like, I cannot just be drunk alone on camera. That, that l- misses, loses. If, if I can
2: interrupt, Chris said this at the end of the session and I thought he was joking. <laughs>
1: so I'm really happy to learn that they
2: actually recorded this after the game.
1: Well, it is Chris there. It's a chaperone. Yes. And if you are a patron at any level, you will have access to this video. Um, so I'm just saying, hey, patrons, check this out and, And just you know, it's not good. It's a drunk guy reading (laughs) rules.
2: (laughs) You got to work on your salesmanship, Chris. It was literally the greatest thing you will ever see on YouTube. It was the greatest. It was was so good they almost took it down. They were like, "We can't have content like this. It's not fair to the other creators." Even even though, but Chris got on the phone with them and he talked them down. They're like, "Okay, we'll let it up, but just for a little while." So watch (laughs) it while you still can.
1: (laughs) All right, Uh, that that's i like your salesmanship that works way better than mine i've been drinking yeah and i'll tell people not to unsubscribe (laughs) but if you if you just want to see it you can subscribe for one month and then unsubscribe fletcher loves it when i tell people to unsubscribe from Patreon. um don't do that stick with us we got eventually we're going to be good like eventually it's going to happen so i i have yeah uh how are guys this weekend we already talked about that let's just go into a topic what are we talking about today kitty
3: I'm sorry, I got distracted. I think I have hives. <laughs> 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 I just noticed I am breaking out in a terrible rash on my arm.
2: Our <laughs> weekend was great. How was yours? <laughs> <laughs> it's like we're talking
3: about failing forward.
2: Right. Res, there oh, is... we're talking about my career. This
1: yes. Fun. <laughs> okay. I'm going to
3: have to go get Benadryl.
1: That's it's okay. We have your husband to take over. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> not a good idea. <laughs> so the the premise of and we're gonna this is this is gonna work, right? The idea is just pushing through to find the story. And this podcast, everything we've done up until now, has all been part of the plan. As an example. It should pushing. be our motto. Yes. <laughs>
2: did it's... you did you just say this podcast is an example of failing forward?
1: <laughs> yes.
3: Are you talking about just this episode or the endeavor as a whole?
1: I um I, I think I was talking about just this episode, but now you're making me question everything I, I know and love about this hobby. Um okay. Uh yes. Uh, failing forward, what does that mean? Fletcher, what does that mean to you?
0: Uh I don't know what it means to me in like a tabletop game sense. Honestly, I've only ever heard this in like a career kind of kind of a sense, <laughs> which where is failing, someone fails forward failing in their upward, career right? or that's, in their job. Normally, yeah, you're yeah. failing upward. Yeah, yeah. But in terms of in terms of a game, I don't think I've ever heard this particular phrase used in a game before. All
1: right, that is good to know because now I don't have the assumption that everybody knows what this means, which I probably shouldn't since there are probably quite a few people who don't play role playing games at all so this doesn't make a whole lot of sense it's not it's it's something that's actually used in board games as well you don't it's not necessarily called that as much in in the role playing game industry it's called more it's this is more used fletcher doesn't know spencer have you heard this term before
2: i haven't heard the term before but i feel like i intrinsically know what you're talking about here which is that when you're, you're moving through the, in a, let, let's, let's stick with the RPG standpoint, right? So you're the, the game master and you've, you've got some challenges in front of your players. And, uh, let's say they're looking for the clue to solve the mystery and find the next thing, or they're trying to beat the bad guy or whatever, and they fail at that task. Uh, if your storyline depends on them succeeding at that thing and they fail, you can just go like, well, um, you, all progress stops. You don't have fun anymore. And it's <laughs> over. Uh, and, and it's over. And you have to just like hash things out and hate yourself for a while. That's not fun. Failing forward is the idea that even if things don't go according to plan, the story progresses. And in a deeper, more important letter, level, the players continue to have fun. So the idea of uh, having, handling a failure gracefully so that the story continues in a forward direction. And I think it's important to, juxtapose that to what fletcher was mentioning of sort of the career thing people talk about failing up right so up isn't is is insinuating that you're you're progressing you're going up the hierarchy you're gaining something here the players don't necessarily have to go up get rewarded for failing but the story has to go forward exactly and separating those dimensions i think is really important if you're running a game like that
1: Kitty, have you heard this term because i'm i suspect that in some of your alternate or non d actual plays, they've probably used this quite a bit.
3: I have heard this term, and I believe I was the one who turned this into a topic last week. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yes, she knows. So, so yes, I've heard this term before, and I've heard it used. But also in regards to d and I think the first um, place I might have heard this was from Brett on Gaming BS. He's a big proponent of failing forward.
1: Yep. Yeah. And, and the idea here is, and this, so Spencer, what you described was kind of like an, a huge, like a story arc, you know, something in the mm-hmm. story. This can be as something as, hey, make a perception check. And I know that you need to roll a 15 in order to succeed at this perception check. Well, if you roll a 14, nope, you don't see the, you know, hidden door over there. Therefore, you know, you're just, you're not going to go that way. Adventure's done, dead end. Now turn around, go back the other way. Failing forward would be along something along the lines of, in its simplest aspect in, in The Secret Door, like, okay, you didn't roll the 15, so you didn't spot it quickly. But after an hour of searching, you finally find The Secret Door. But now the kobolds are, you can hear them like coming up the hall just as you find it. So even so though you f-
2: don't get the short rest that you would have gotten if you found the door, exactly. There, there, something would have been better if you found it, but you're
1: going forward either way. Right. So the idea here is no matter what happens, you want to push things along and the, you don't have to, it's not a binary succeed or fail. It's a succeed or start failing with consequences. And those consequences can be granular. If you rolled a two, well, Maybe it took you a day to find the secret door or maybe you went someplace else or maybe you found the secret door and you just got so excited that you opened it and you triggered the trap right away. There's like a number there's a bunch of things you can do to make that consequence matter, but not essentially put that dead end in front of you. We're saying, sorry, there's no place else to go because you didn't roll the right number on the die. So sorry. Go back to happen. town. Yeah, let's go back to find, town.
0: An- find another fetch quest. Yep.
1: Now, it doesn't mean that everything in the game has to have a fail to success. There are certain times where the success doesn't matter. Make a perception check. I rolled a 14, looking for a 15. You didn't find the secret safe that had the magic cloak of plus two to everything. Okay, that's okay. Because that doesn't stop the storyline. That doesn't stop any progression. It would have been something cool if you had rolled it, if you had found it, but it's not like, uh, the the story's over because I didn't find it. So that's really what we're talking about today. And I'm kind of I don't know that there's a lot of debate in this, but I'm <laughs> like like should you just put up walls in front of people? But when you're looking at a lot of pre written adventures, pre written adventures have here's the number you're looking for, and this is what you get if you roll that number they rarely have any kind of but if they fail then this thing happens and that leaves the game master in situations where they have to try to figure out how to advance the storyline you know it's like oh you missed your insight check on the bartender the fact that he was lying to you but how else are you going to get this information that he was lying to you unless you make that insight check uh, what do i do how do i get this information to you that you need to progress this story so I think the, what I'm really trying to emphasize here is not only for the players, but also for the GMs, how to handle these types of situations. Um, and so, I mean, I don't know. What do you guys think about this in general? Like, no matter what you roll, you're going to get it. Is that Does that feel like cheaty or does it feel like, wait a minute, you know, that just – I didn't earn that, so why did I get that? Or why am I even rolling if I'm going to, you know st- – move forward anyway
2: i I liked it all until that last summary of no matter what you roll you're gonna get it like no yeah the role should matter right like if i don't roll high enough i don't get it and i think in the abstract what you're talking about chris is not controversial it's not controversial at all it's almost like saying you should be a good person or (laughs) you should run fun games like yes of course and it's more precise than that but um it's not controversial in the abstract it's just really difficult to implement in the specifics. Uh and, and it's, I think it's something to bring up, not because you have to tell people that they ought to do it, but because you should remind people, especially people that are running the games, the GM, that this is always a course there. Like, you know, I writing my own sort of custom homebrew paths and planning scenarios for a day or a session or a story, or whatever. I'll often have all kinds of branches like, okay, they'll fail this. They'll do this, whatever. But then sometimes it's hard when you're constructing a narrative like that of like, well, if they don't notice this one thing, but you have to do that because at any given point, something's going to not happen. You have to have a sort of a fail safe of like, well, what do you do if they don't notice a thing or they fail the role or they decide to do something else? You can't box everyone in because very much like you said before, you're not writing a story. You don't know what's going to happen. The players are going to do something and the dice are going to do something. Yeah.
1: Well, and the thing is, you you don't my, – the my granular example of the secret door is a skill check example, Right. The other option is you didn't detect the secret door, which is fine. You hit a dead end in the dungeon and it's like, okay, there's nothing here. So you turn around and go back the other way. And if you can still eventually get to what you're looking for, that's fine. That is still failing forward. And it may have created a new set of stories, a new adventure that, well, that you wouldn't normally have had if you just found the secret door. And boom, now we found the boss's lair and we can do what we need to do, right? So there's a lot of ways to do this. The main thing is never let a roll, never let a random die roll block your story from continuing forward. It's granular in how much you let an instance of a skill check block your way forward. And I don't know that there's an, a hard and fast rule that I use on this, but there are, I oftentimes, at D&D, we refer to it a lot. Not all systems are black and white skill checks as D is most of them are but because D, you have a difficulty value um terence asks you know how do you know what the number needs to be basically it's five is easy 10 is medium 15 is hard 20 is almost impossible like that's just the those are the guidelines um if i'm calling for a role though i actually rarely have in my head and this is i actually kind of recommend this in general don't have a value in your head of what they need to hit unless there's a specific reason that that value matters. So, I want it to disarm this trap, you need to roll a 15. That is entirely fine for me saying, okay, you need a 15. And I'll actually call that out. Hey, Fletcher, roll to disarm the trap, you need a 15. And if I do that and you roll a 15 or better, you disarm the trap. And if you roll less than that, there's some kind of, you know, resource draining consequence usually hit points but if i say make a perception check i'm rarely saying make a perception check your roll, your is at 15 i'm saying make a perception check at which point i am looking at who is well first thing is i'm kind of looking at who rolled the highest because i don't want everyone to notice sometimes you want everyone to notice the same thing at the same time but sometimes you want people to feel like hey i'm special i spotted this and drew everyone else's attention right so if some if i get 18 16 15 and 12 the 18 is going to see the most and that's the person i'm going to say hey kitty you saw this and this and this and so this is what happened but i know i i take that after the fact on what the number was to how much information i give you but i don't i couldn't write it down in a scale if i tried like and i don't know like you guys are playing in my game does that feel? Like, do the skills that you're rolling feel necessary, useful, consequential? Like, do your skills make your character or make you feel like your character is doing cool things based on those roles?
0: Uh, yes, because I roll perception every thirty seconds. <laughs> and I'm usually the person that spots everything anyway, because I have a very high uh, plus to my perception. Um, but in in that specific example, for perception like yes because i'm usually the person that spots everything typically because i think i have like a plus seven or something ridiculous um and i'm the one that sees a spider or sees or notices something and then i point it out to everybody else because i'm the one that notices it i also have the high higher skill uh stealth as well so i'm usually ahead being stealthy opening up doors opening up locks so specifically in that context um yeah, I feel like it. It adds it brings uniqueness to my character, and you know, I think everybody kind of has that. Like Kitty, it's like whenever we find anything magical, it's like, "What is this, Kitty? Tell us what it is." She has the history and arcane knowledge, because it's like I, I don't know anything about
1: that.
3: I still don't know what that ring is, though. I don't you rolled,
1: know. <laughs> you rolled with advantage and rolled two ones
3: <laughs> at the same time. I know it's, it was terrible,
2: <laughs> and that's honestly that that could be a whole show topic sometime about constructing an RPG group. Of making sure that the players have complementary skills that don't overlap too, too much so that everyone's kind of special, but also like we get along well and, and all the things that you need are, are there together. But I think, you know, this, this talk about, um, how, how you handle the, the failure of the dice is exceeding the dice and, and, the, uh, where that affects a storyline and how it goes. One of the things that I've learned and kind of leaned on running games is if, Sometimes it's really hard to come up with like, okay, well, if you guys fail this role, like, oh, you don't notice the one thing you need to find. Like, Chris, you gave me the example, like, well, maybe you find it an hour later or something, right? And like you come up with some mild penalty for not finding it. Nothing thing is just don't have them roll. If there's a role that's really important of like, well, okay, you guys got to find this. Pick the, maybe it's the, you know, you have to notice the hidden door or something. Then you pick the person in the party with the highest perception and, and you don't have them roll. You just say, you walk in the room and you're like, Hey Fletcher, your character notices that there's a, a hidden door back there. Like just, just force it to happen. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes players don't even notice that, especially with a perception check. You, cause, cause you're always telling people what they see. They don't even pick on the fact that you're skipping a role.
1: Yeah. I, I, so this one, this is a common advice too. If, if they must notice it, don't have them make the roll. I'm not sure, and it works. It it definitely works. Uh, There's two ways that I've approached this. One is, if you're trained in a particular skill, I may give you information that you wouldn't normally have. That kind of says, hey, you're proficient in this, you're trained in this, you've actually spent points on your character to be good with this. Therefore, because of that, you see this information. And you can do that. So I would never say, well, like, if... If Fletcher just happens, it's usually with a cleric. The cleric just happens to have high perception because they have high wisdom. I may not give them free information because they're not trained in perception. They just happen to have a high wisdom as a side effect. They have perception. So that I like, but oftentimes players like rolling dice. And I like when people roll dice. Like it's like we're playing a role-playing game. There's a bunch of dice involved. So what I'll often do, and you... You guys, again, I don't know if you've noticed this, um, but oftentimes I will say, hey, if you have Arcana and if you're trained in Arcana, you can roll with advantage. If not, then you can still roll, but you roll normal. Or the other way, I might say, if you're not trained in Arcana, you roll with disadvantage, but anyone with Arcana can make a check. So giving you kind of saying, you have put points into this, so you're going to be better at this... Um, but yeah, if if there's a case where – and this is the reason I don't necessarily like just giving you the thing. So you you must see the secret door. Fletcher's passive perception. I hate passive perception. I hate passive insight. I do not use them. I hate them. <laughs> They're stupid. Um, and I know I offended people, but yeah, I don't like them. I just don't like the fact that I am a, a thief and I'm just going to pump up my perception to whatever. And so now every time I walk into this, I'm like – what is it? Uh, psych, where everything just starts glowing at me, and I can just see everything. I don't think that's fun for anyone either, except for the thief. But it's not fun for anyone else. So,
3: so something they did in um, Pathfinder Second Edition is when you are like traveling. So when you are like moving from one location to another, you can choose what you are doing so like kind of the default in D&D is like perceiving I am looking for what is going on but you could also choose to be um, I don't remember what some of the things are but like you you make your choice of what your character can do either I am stealthing and you use your stealth um, modifier to do things while you're traveling you use your perception you can use so you know either you're all trying to hide or you're you're not passively doing
1: everything at once
3: Yeah, you choose one thing to be good at.
2: If I if I follow, in Pathfinder 2.0, you actively passively do one thing at a time.
1: Yes. Okay.
3: (laughs) Make it very confusing like that. Well it
2: it is it's weird, right? Because I because I thought the point of passive perception is if you are doing nothing, you're just walking by, you just happen to notice better than other people do. And that's what passive perception is.
1: Which which is exactly what it is, but it's broken because in D anD D five e, passive things like that are just broken because it breaks the adventure. It breaks the designs. It breaks so many things. That
2: do do you, do you know offhand what exactly the passive perception rules are for D anD D five e?
1: Yeah, how do they passive, work? I, 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 passive I don't perception. Know offhand. Could you explain? Passive it? perception is ten plus your modifier, and then anytime that you would have to detect something, if your passive perception exceeds that something that you would detect then you automatically see it. So it's very similar.
2: You're right. Because 10 plus your modifier is
1: an average roll. Right. But it's an average roll averaging towards succeeding. Yeah. So any moderate perception chance, you're going to see automatically. Now that might be okay in certain situations, but when you have a trap that has a DC 15 to check, and you have someone who's specializing in perception. It's not hard to get a perception of 18 or passive perception of 18 to 20. If you take the perceptives, um, feet or whatever it is. So now you just, you can see anything at any time.
2: So it becomes. Yeah, that would be actually a good feat. Just make passive perception a feat. Passive perception. It's yeah. a feat. No one has it. But if you take the feet, you get to take 10 and you always take 10 on perception or whatever the die roll is. I will say it is Whether still you're boring. Or not.
1: So I've run a lot of it, like organized play adventures, where basically I need to stick with the numbers, and it's still incredibly boring when someone comes because the, the passive perception, the feat that gives you the bonus, it basically is like, okay, the bard sees blah 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 blah, the bard sees blah yeah. blah, like nobody else has a chance to do anything because the bard's just always, oh look over there, oh look what's there, uh, the, and especially like you know Fletcher mentioned, I have them making perception rolls all the time. I wish perception weren't a skill because it's. It's one of those things where, okay, you hear something, you see something. Detecting something in general is what adventurers are doing all the time.
2: This is just a growth of why the ranger is a useless class. Because (laughs) there are some skills that are vital to adventuring, but then people kind of hand wave them and go, yeah, nobody wants to do that. And that's why you like you don't care about rations and you don't care about traveling through the countryside so that no one plays a ranger. Chris, you're just going to kill the rogue the same way you already killed the ranger. What is wrong with you? Why do you hate adventuring?
1: I tried killing the rogue. He ran away. <laughs> did <do> that. <laughs> so I want to jump back to something we mentioned uh, a while ago and then talk uh, answer some of the questions in the chat before we move on. So – we alluded to the fact that I had Kitty make an arcana check, and she rolled two ones. So she was trying to detect what a ring did that our turtle was wearing. And she wanted to say, okay, I, I, you know, this is the day two, let me check this. And I don't know if I said advantage or disadvantage, but all I know is that you rolled two dice.
3: It was advantage.
1: Yeah. And you rolled ones on both of them. Now, yep. if it was a black and white type of thing, I could just say you failed. And that would have been fine. You failed for the day. You can check tomorrow. But no, you rolled two ones, which mechanically in the game means nothing. If Mechanically in the game means you rolled one one. That's, that's it. Because that's how advantage and disadvantage. You take the highest or you take the lowest. But you rolled two ones. And I said, instead of you not being able to detect this today, you never want to look at this ring again. That's not scripted anywhere, right? There's no nothing in any language, any text, any anywhere that says, hey, if... Someone has advantage and they roll two ones and something catastrophically bad happens. But it was fun for the story. Yeah. There's yeah also
3: but I don't like it. Well, sure. <laughs> well,
2: uh, but like, all right, so, so Chris, your point of like, you know, players like to roll dice, right? Like there's just something about playing the game. You like to roll the dice, react how it goes. This reminds me in some ways to like playing Monopoly of like everybody plays where like free parking pays you out some money or something. It's not in the rules, mm-hmm. but it sort of organically happened of like, well, that's, that's great. So it should be a thing. Th- correct me if I'm wrong. There's no difference mechanically per the rules. If you make a skill check and you roll one under the DC with your modifier versus a one, correct. With no mo- ban- bonuses, right? There but are everyone, s- literally everyone. When you play D and D and you roll a one, you're like, Oh shit, I, up and it goes. Ah, oh, what happened?
1: Now I have to go edit Everybody's the podcast. Screwed, screwed, screwed up. <laughs> sorry, I, uh, I screwed that one up. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, so basically, I rolled a one. Yes, <laughs> you rolled a one in your Christmas I check. I did it again because I interrupted Chris. I'm sorry. No, so basically, you're right, and and the other way it applies too. The only time that a twenty or a one matters is when you are making an attack roll. Then 20 has an effect. Rolling 20 on a skill check has no rules effect whatsoever. Rolling a one has no rules. You can roll a one, have a plus 10 in a skill, and still succeed without a problem. Many, many people will unconsciously oftentimes house rule that a one is just always going to be bad. In fact, a lot of times my players will just be like, I failed, I rolled a one. They won't even tell me the final result. And sometimes I'm like, well, what is that result? Because... Well, you I didn't... have a
2: plus 18,
1: but I rolled <laughs> yeah, a one. Exactly. <laughs> so in even um, attacking, a one does not cause a miss. And there are some monsters that have like a, you know, a seven or eight armor class. And a one, you could still hit them easily.
0: Really? I, I thought that was, I thought if you rolled a run at one on attack roll, it was an automatic fail.
1: Not in 5e.
3: Not in 5e, but oh. I do think it is in 3.5 and Pathfinder. It is an okay. automatic
1: fail. Well, it's, it may like I, s- and maybe like second it, edition four stuff. Low. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it is only in 5e that the natural one has no direct consequence, but it's like, you know, years. No, I've just been carrying
0: training. that over
2: then. <laughs> but, you know, like, yeah. if, if if a one doesn't fail, then if you have a high enough bonus, why are you even rolling the die?
1: Exactly. And the reason you roll the die, in my games anyway, is because if you roll a one, say you have a plus 12 for whatever reason, it's it's not even hard, well... Plus 12 to uh, something is hard. 12 12 to attack roll maybe isn't, but so you have a plus 12 though. So you're going to roll a minimum of 13, but you could roll a 32 and I want to reward that 32. So that's essentially why heavy rolls. Like you might get to a point of you're not going to fail forward, but you're going to succeed so good, so well, so more, more better, so more better ish. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that you are going to get something really cool. So if I'm having you roll this, sometimes I'm just saying, hey, show off because you're, you've are you put so much time and effort into this. So, all right, let's 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 answer some questions here. Um, let's see, how do you balance poor roles with limited, with limited the feeling of being railroaded, with limiting the feeling of being railroaded into a story? So essentially what Matthew is asking here is, if I keep giving you the story, and you keep making bad roles, am I railroading you into where I need you to be? And I would say, actually, Kitty, go ahead.
3: Well, I think it depends on what kind of, you know, fail forward we're doing. I think that there is a way that that can happen, but there are many different ways of failing forward. So, yeah, the story is going forward despite our best efforts in some ways. (laughs) But... um, you know, we could be, you know, we keep going through this path, but maybe we're giving our enemy more and more information about ourselves. Maybe we are leaving a trail someone can follow. It's not necessarily that, you know, we're being rewarded by just like moving down this path. There is a consequence coming. So it's not something like, I don't know. These checks should never be something like I tried to climb the rope, and I fail my climb checks, so we just sit at the bottom of the cliff. It's like, you know, I try to climb the rope, but I fail my check. So I make too much noise climbing it, and now something can hear me. But these aren't checks that are, like, writing the actual path of the storyline. They should be checks that are small things, something that is, like, Story driven should be more role playing heavy than dice dependent, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. And then sometimes, I mean, you bring up a good point with the rope and the cliff. If you guys as a group decide that you're going to climb the side of the cliff and you have, you know, you have a rope there, you're going to succeed at that. You're, you're like, you expect that you are going to make it up the side of this cliff. So if I'm having you roll for that. I'm actually just having you roll to see how well you get up the side of the cliff. Mm -hmm. So the roll isn't necessarily to say, did you make it? The roll is, how well did you make it? Yeah. And a lot of these, like, if you just reverse those checks to say, okay, you're probably going to accomplish this thing because you're adventurers. It's what you do. But it doesn't mean you do everything perfectly. And now, and that's kind of the heart of failing forward is – Well, it took you extra time. You had, you caused a minor avalanche. The, you know, rogue took 15 rocks to the head. So he's a little confused for the next two (laughs) hours. Like there's a lot of things that you can happen that you still get to the top of the cliff. And now you have some fun things and you have a story of why that role was interesting.
3: Sometimes the Hobbit drops the rock down the well, and now we have to fight some trolls.
2: Yeah, exactly. You you rolled a you rolled a twenty. You hit you know you doubled the DC or whatever. You did such a great job crawling it. it It wasn't hard at all. That you got a short rest while you were climbing. Yeah, you just succeeded regularly. You got up the cliff, and if you rolled a a one, which is always a failure, like we just said, or you just you know missed it by enough. Numbers, then you drop some gear on the way and now you don't have any arrows because we all keep track of our arrow inventory, right?
1: Everyone does. <laughs> yep. Also, all those copper pieces started falling out That's and great. making all the all the noise. Um so Terrence asks, how close is the role to the target and how much do they learn based on how close you are to that target? So this goes back to imagining that there's a target. And for the moment, let's imagine I don't think you guys read a lot of pre-written adventures. I, I tend to read, especially when I was doing adventures, like a lot of them. What will end up happening is in any given pre-written adventure, there are a bullet point list of things that could be revealed by whatever. Um, so usually what I'll do in that case, and I call this table rules versus house rules, like just kind of DM's prerogative, how much information you want to give at the table. If the insight check on the bartender... Actually, no, the um, diplomacy check on the bartender. You're trying to charm the bartender to give you information. If that's a 10, and then the 10, the bartender is going to give you all of this information because it's black or white, and you roll a five, well, I might give you one piece of information. And then, you know, the bartender is annoyed. He gives you this, you know, one piece of information and says, look, if you want someone one more information, go talk to someone else. I'm I'm too busy here. Where if you roll a 15, I may give you all the information. And if you hit that 10, I'll give you half the information. So again, it's one of those things where you have to kind of judge it. But the piece of information you get when you fail is still a piece of information that's going to allow you to go forward with something. Because oftentimes too in these adventures is like, here's six pieces of information. Two of them are wrong. I'm probably not going to give you the wrong piece of information if it's the only piece of information you get. Because now I'm actually creating a completely different adventure. The players have no idea that they could be getting misinformation, especially if they roll Mm -hmm. poorly on an insight check, right? So I have to be careful what you give because you can actually start creating – like if you have a four-hour adventure and two and a half hours is chasing down a red herring, that is not fun. For anyone, so well,
3: it depends on how good a red herring it is. You know, if you're running around like talking with fun NPCs, like you, you can have a good time chasing down a false lead as long as it's still moving the story. Like the story doesn't have to be the story of us solving the case. The story is of us trying to solve the case it
2: can be fun for the players for a while <laughs> and chris like you know we, we talked a previous episode about like the quantum troll and like all these things where like the players just run way off the rails at some point you gotta go like all right and you improv something and you just put something at the end there because they ran off in this totally other direction
1: yeah and and honestly you can't like there's there are times rule number one mind rule number one is go where the players are pointing me Whenever possible. Now there is some. Hey, this is the adventure, and if you want to do a pre-written adventure, players have to understand that they need to be on board with that too. If you say
3: outside the scope
1: of this adventure, I feel
2: like I push that rule all the time.
1: (laughs) Yes, if we say if we say we're gonna play the Dungeon of the Mad Mage, and you have a Paladin, it's just like, why would I go down there, Christmas? (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> literally in the last session Chris was like okay you guys could do one of these two things it's like we're going to do a third thing and Chris is like okay hold on let me explain you could do this thing or you could do this other thing and I was like I want to do a different thing <laughs> he's like okay what is it, what do all the other players think and the other players are like I, I mean I guess we could do that third thing
1: <laughs> so it was fine Chris is
2: like are you sure that's what you guys want to do we're like
1: yes we want to do that thing Sorry oh, Now it's actually all coming back to me. No, I'm looking forward to that thing happening, which we'll talk about post-credits. That thing. That was the only rational decision. Yeah. It was not. <laughs> <laughs> Chris is more on board
3: with this decision than I am. I, I, am a I just didn't care anymore. i just objector to this <laughs> dumb idea. But, so, know, but this
1: actually gets to a point of as long as I know what your guys' decision is before the next session then I can prepare for it. And that's actually important too. Um, not everyone, I consider myself an improv DM. I am more than happy to just go with the flow whenever. And that actually makes it easier to not have black and white skill checks if you're just like, everything's on a scale for me. We'll see what the moment feels right. But not everyone's like that, right? So sometimes having those hard and fast rules of saying, you know something, just see that target as average. Every plus two, give them a little bit more. Every minus two, give them a little bit less. You know, And that will allow you to do that grayscale and never block them if there's no other way to go forward. If the secret door is the only way to go forward, you have to let them find that secret door. But if there's another way to get to that room, they don't have to find the secret door. They can take another path and get there.
3: I feel like a secret door needing to be found is poor writing.
0: <laughs>
1: exactly. But we don't always write the adventures we run. So sometimes... That's true. You come across this. Terrence then asked, do you ever hand notes to players so they can see what they see and not tell the rest of the party? I used to do this. I find this is incredibly... <sighs> Role-playing is a team game. It's it's a cooperative game between the dungeon master and the players and the players and the players. Typically. Kitty has something um, to say. I
3: really love it when um, you are like the DM describes something to you. And then it's like, I say that exact thing back to everyone else. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it's really tricky when it feels like you're not really playing your character. But at the same time, it's like, I don't need to share the information in my voice because it's going to be the same information.
1: (laughs) And and that's it's a shortcut, right? It's like saying if I'm if Fletcher sticks his head in the door and he sees 20 chocolate ice huddled in a corner. I can send him a private message saying, hey, this is what you see. And then he's going to turn around and say, hey, I see 20 truck lights huddled in a corner. Those types of things aren't necessarily things that it doesn't add to the game to make you do that. Other things that I actually find it entertaining is, you know, you get separated. Fletcher walks into a portal. Now, what he's seeing and doing, I'm saying to the group, but the group doesn't know. So, okay, rest of the party, what do you do? not taking into consideration what you know is happening on the other side. What do your characters do? And I think that there's there's two ways you can approach that, right? You can take that approach of, I'm not going to tell the rest of the players. Fletcher and I are going to have a private 15-minute session over here, and everyone else just waits and does nothing. And then I come back and say, okay, what do you do? He's been missing for 15 minutes. Like, what? no, no, <laughs> we wouldn't have waited 15 minutes. We would have only waited one minute, and then we would have done this thing. So you have to be... It's just easier to give that information there and say, look, you have player information and you have character information. The story goes forward based on what the characters know. What do your part characters of the game
3: do? is playing your character and like right. you and it's fun sometimes when you know something that your character doesn't know. But the part that I find very difficult is when I know my character should know something that I don't. it's like
2: sometimes it's hard uh, to separate your mind like that uh i so i so i i don't do this typically with something of like oh you succeeded in the perception check and no one else did so i'm gonna write a note and say what you saw whatever right because like i'm gonna tell you and they're gonna tell the rest of the party like we don't have to go through those games but it can be fun sometimes if it's very role-playing intensive if you wanted to do something like um you are convinced that the rest of the party is trying to kill you but you don't want them to know that you know. So <laughs> right if something was that was happening, like if you say that to the table, like that's fun and everyone goes through it. But it's even better if you write that on a note and you slip it over. Yeah.
3: Like and, the and, player has been poisoned or right. something, you know, yeah. like they're suffering and, under and the so effects like, of confusion. Yeah, so, so, sometimes <laughs> so,
2: so something like that can be helpful. Uh, but I, I think it's uh it, it like I said, it's more about the role playing situation and it's it's more rare than just like, oh, you made the good role. Yeah. and like I'm telling you this before you tell everyone else
1: the exception to it really is when there is player conflict whether by design or you know whatever the case might be I find this works really good in like one shots and and uh, games that like at con conventions and stuff where here's your backstory and here's how you know the other characters at the table having that secret information allows you to play your character in a way that is different from what everyone else is doing. That can be really fun, but in a ca- long campaign, having someone who's out to get the rest, I've not found a lot of success in that. It's it's tricky to say, okay, the the five of us are playing a game. So Spencer, Kitty, Fletcher, Sydney and myself, and one of the four of you is a traitor.
2: Yeah, we've been trying to kill Fletcher. It's hard. We've been trying to. Well,
1: I mean
3: that's that's he Keeps running away.
1: Yeah, that's all three of you trying Keep to kill Fletcher. Keep running but. away. <laughs> <laughs> but there's no good resolution after a year-long campaign where all of a sudden the traitor comes out and backstabs the group and wins. Like, that is not anything you'd want to have happen. Maybe you could say the traitor comes out and the rest of the group says, what? And then goes after the traitor. And then the traitor loses. That would be marginally okay, but still – I don't know. It's not. It, it's it's okay if the traitor
2: comes out, attacks the group. You don't die. You just again fail forward. So he, you know, he or she hurts you, runs away with the magic stone crown, whatever you know thingy, and then you're abandoned somewhere, and you have to crawl your way back and get your revenge. Yeah. It just I can't. Yeah. If, if he kill if if they kill you, that's no good. But,
3: I think it's also a fun way if you're, like, sick of your character to, like, I'm going to betray the party and then we get to bring in a new character.
1: Yeah, that that's actually fun. that's <laughs> actually a fun way. It's like, okay, we're going to retcon something. This wasn't a long plan. But the way I want to get out of this is I want this to be revealed, blah, blah, blah. And then my player character becomes an NPC. And then I can bring in this new character who's definitely on the up and up. But my old player character, he's, yeah. He's evil at this point. Um, is actually one of my po-
2: favorite things, both as a player and as a GM, to do <laughs> is the I'm sick of my character. Tell let, Let's say it's time to die thing. Yeah.
3: The worst thing you can do, though, is try to introduce a player character as though they are an NPC. Because um, I heard a story one time where they were doing this and uh, they all just murdered the new PC. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It is the safest way to go about. If you beat someone new and they have a name, just kill them right away because <laughs> they're either not powerful enough because they were hiring you, or they were evil in the first place. And you just let's shortcut this. Um, don't do that, players. It's
2: like the opposite of the red shirt rule in Star Trek. It's like, that one's gonna die. It's like, What's a player character? Don't like any NPC. It's like yeah, just kill them. Doesn't matter. Yeah,
1: yeah. Why did you
2: team. put a red shirt on that character? He's supposed to be a reoccurring <laughs> character.
1: Um, Terrace actually brought up a, a, an interesting thing that we hear all the time. The rogue finds 100 gold pieces and tells the party there are 50. Um, I don't face that a lot with you guys. I don't think I've ever faced that with I'm you guys. Too
3: honest. Yep.
1: Um, but <laughs> I have faced I played this the rogue yet. a lot in organized play. So often. Especially, it's usually preteen to midteen boys that no. do this. Not to stereotype, I'm just saying, Makes sense in my experience. With Yeah. In my experience, this is, this is the thing where it's like, okay, I'm the rogue. I'm constantly trying to pick the party's pockets. I'm constantly trying to, you know, take the loot that, you know, no one can see. And they're obviously having fun with it. So as a dungeon master, you have to be careful that, and this is a failing forward thing too. So like, okay, make a stealth check. All right. You succeeded. Cool. You're able to pocket that extra 50 gold pieces. You failed. Okay. The rest of the party saw what you were doing and then let that go from there. Now the, how do you fail forward? You fail forward by letting the party play that out. Like yeah, you you took the 50 gold. you def, you succeeded at taking that money, but the group also saw what you were doing. Now you also have to be careful because when you're playing at a table with strangers and the DM puts you in that kind of situation, you still have to keep everything mechanical. Now, the rogue, at the meantime, I've actually had someone pass me a note saying, hey, I pocket the 50 gold pieces or whatever. And I will look at them and say, okay, make a stealth check or make a sleight of hand check. And they'll make that roll. And I'll, like, whatever they happen to see. It's like, even if they succeed, I'll oftentimes be like, all right, rest of the table, everyone make a perception check or an insight check. To give them an idea of what's going on, again, mechanically. Because you have a thief that's stealing from the party, and that is not okay to let just continue to happen. But it's also not something you want to just say no. Let the characters deal with it, not the players, if whenever possible. Fletcher, have you stole from the party?
0: No, I haven't. Are you sure? Uh, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you let me have something without telling anybody else. I uh... but no, like for me, it like. It may benefit me in the short run, but like having a fully geared, fully equipped party that can take on challenges is better than just having me with a bunch of extra gold that I may not be able to spend. That's exactly what a thief would say "He's pilfering all of our loot. <laughs> huh?
3: I mean, like, it just... i I feel like this kind of trope doesn't really make sense. Like, we are working together as a team. You know, we are not supposed to be at conflict with each other. Like... You are meant to be stealing on behalf of our team, not, you know, stealing from us. I don't know. Maybe it's, that's just my goody two shoes. It's cute <laughs> sometimes
2: how naive you can be. <laughs> People are very much like that in the world. No, I, I do think it's um, I think it's sort of like a, a role playing realism thing where like you, you, you begin to get more into character. And say like, oh, I'm going to take role playing my character seriously and go like, yeah, I know that this is bad for the story, but I'm going to do it because my character would do this. And that makes me a good role player. And when you first start to do that, you make things worse and worse. I think the best role players, instead of ignoring stuff altogether or derailing the story and causing conflict in the party aligned with what they think their character would do, find a balance between the two and they explore what your character would do but also run your character kind of like if you're running the game and try to forward the story
1: So I just I just think
3: you can create such a bad person of a character that my character no longer wants to be in an adventuring party <laughs> with them and that's yeah. too irritating and that causes more story conflict than you you know not playing your character like your character needs to be a person that like, an adventuring party wants to hang out with.
2: And, th- and that, I think yeah. that's part of what I'm getting at here is I think a good player, a mature player who's experienced at playing these sort of games and participating in them uh, takes as much responsibility for the story as the game master.
1: Yes. A hundred percent agree with that. That could be its own topic. I was almost going to say that <laughs> the topic of, well, my character would do it that would do that could be a topic. But Kitty, every once in a while, she says something that I completely a hundred percent agree with. If your defense is, this is what my character would do, my response is, then you've built a bad character. Like, right. like, <laughs> th- then that's, your
3: character's a bad person.
1: <laughs> yeah. You've built, you've built a character fine. that doesn't work with the, you know, the, the story that the group is trying to tell. Unless this group is trying to tell that story, sometimes that is okay. But typically, if you are going against what everyone else is trying to do, Because your character would do that, change your character. You have that ability. Also, you were the player that created that character.
0: I I built a psychopath that trusts no one and wants to kill people at the drop of a hat. It's like, well... Then you're not going to be in a party with because and not to get too deep, g- but
2: like <laughs> life is kind of like that too. Like we yeah. people yeah. like you hear this a lot of times from like you know teenagers, right? Of like, well that that's just who I am, and I want to be true to myself. It's like, yes, you should be true to yourself, and you shouldn't just do whatever people are doing to go along with it. But there's a little bit of give and take that you should go with people. And if yeah. everyone's yeah. being happy and it's not like gonna hurt you or somebody else, like just. Go along with it a little bit. How about we all have fun together?
1: Exactly. We live in a society where other people are <laughs> We exist. live in a society, <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, we are at a good point where we can move post-credits and talk about the third option. Um, <laughs> I don't know if we actually – well, we talked about failing forward, and that's really all our thing. I wasn't really trying to answer how to – like you know, make every game perfect. But just maybe some concepts come in that's like why just saying you fail is never really a good thing, um, is usually never really a good thing. But usually sometimes never. it is. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> dungeon masters, game masters, you need to make that call. But remember, you're telling a story together. And if you were watching these characters in a movie or reading these characters in a book, what you put in front of them and the result of their efforts, would that make an interesting story for you to be watching or reading? Like, that's what you should always be thinking about is, is this story interesting? Because if it's not, then, then that becomes the problem. And you don't have to be like, well, it doesn't matter if the story is interesting. The rules say this. So that must be like this. No, rule number zero is make the game fun. And that means you can break every other rule if you need to. Don't do that willy-nilly because, honestly, rules create structure and it creates, a, you know, allows everyone to have the same expectations of what's going on. But fun is first and failing can be fun. Some of the I'm best. In. Yeah. That that's, I'm just going <laughs> to end it there. On that note, Kitty, take us out
3: tabletop Gametalk is a proud member of the dice tower network if you'd like to follow us on social media the links for facebook and twitter are in our show notes want to watch us record live you can find a link for that in the show notes too comments or questions email us at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com hosting fees and giveaways are sponsored by our patrons if you'd like to be one of these wonderful people you can find out how by visiting our website tabletopgametalk.com and clicking the support us link and there's a link in the show notes too
0: Finally, a huge thank you to our current patrons: Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, The Gift of Games, Sahara Wentworth, Jason Strong, John Lewis, Joe Hoover, Jeremy Fisher, Terrence Miltnar, Sean Peck, Christopher Dong, Jennifer Engelbrecht, Brian, Brian Arnold, Michael Yanikowski, David Sellers, David Radke, Jason Marks, Ann Reynolds, Christopher Letko, Stephen Judd, Leanne Verholst, Joe Rackstad, Weatherman Keith, Paul Raymer, Jimothy, Ben Gary, Matthew Droke, David Rank, Nicholas Lots, Jerry Wong, C Marie, Justin Willard, Jason Rodney, Cindy Loom. Eric Hoffman, Adrian Dong, Baz Flintham, Eric Salander, Glenn Cotter, John Williams, Sir Sully, Andrew Fayesh, Kamal Berth, Peter Fleming, Gary Bunker, Lightning Steve, Jim Conrad, Dan Seed, Sean P. Kelly, Mike Smith, Caleb O'Brien, Don Kilstrap, Aaron Moore, Ron Nelson, Agnes Toth, Charles Pearson, Jesse Wheeler, Ronald Roy, Tony Simpkins, David Garner, and Darren McClellan.
1: And thank you to anyone who's ever been a patron past, currently and future. Uh your support really does mean the world to us. Until next week, keep playing games and having and fun. having fun. And having fun. Now I have to edit again. <laughs> and having fun. <laughs> Spencer, tell us what option three was. Option three. Uh, Oh, I got to think back.
2: Uh, (laughs) Shoot. (laughs) shoot.
1: Even in the outro,
0: the end credits, I don't know.
2: I rolled another one. I'm sorry. Uh, Okay. Uh, We were, we encountered these uh, drow. uh, drow, Yes. Drow. uh, Evil, dark uh, elves. And they were trying to kill Xanathar, the. Big, bad, mob, beholder.
1: Mob, boss, beholder.
2: Mob, boss, beholder. And uh, uh Chris was like, all right, so your your options here are you can continue on the dungeon or you can go into that and fight alongside the drow. And I was like, how about instead we go watch and don't fight, but, but sit there. And if the drow win, then we kill the drow because they'll be weakened uh, from fighting the big, bad, beholder. And if the big, bad, beholder... Kills them all, then we just move on like nothing happened, which I feel like is the only rational course of action.
1: Well, I think the options I actually presented was stop the draw from attacking or ignore yeah. the draw and move on. I don't remember. It was it was some silly option <laughs> that I didn't want to do. But those, but those were the it two was, that I had presented. Go into
3: this room or don't, and yeah, like it was go into this room or go into the dungeon, and you were like, what if we just follow them.
2: I was like a toddler at the back door being like, H- how about I stand in between and just <laughs> look?
1: <laughs> which I find fascinating and I'm going to have a great deal of fun with. Um, yeah. Which really kind of turns everything on its ear because you are, so the way that the Undermountain works, which are the Dungeons of the Mad Mage is at level three, There's actually a city that's just kind of tangentially connected. And the city contains a beholder that runs the mob in Waterdeep, which is, you know, several dozen feet above the city. Um, Yeah, so now you're going to go into this city and watch chaos ensue. And Mm -hmm. that's going to be fun.
2: I mean, I thought... so you know, stepping out as like a player, my thinking was like, let's say it's, you know, Xanathar just destroys these guys. Maybe that's just like, you described that for five minutes and then we go, okay, moving on. Uh, Or something crazy happens and it's a plot hook. Like I wasn't, it crossed my mind as I was pushing this of like, hey, I might be derailing the game. But I also thought like, you know, (laughs) it won't be that bad. What? I I triggered Google. It's talking in the background (laughs) on Spotify. (laughs) Google,
1: (laughs) shut up. Whoa. sorry what Why? did
0: you rename your google's xanathar
1: <laughs> we're all post credits it's fine um but no i to, just to let you know skullport is in the appendix of this book and the fact that players could go into skullport 100 percent expected accounted for and i have no problems with your plan we'll see what the results of it next episode so I'm hearing you, I have a foolproof plan, and we made the right course of action. That's what I'm hearing. I'm lodging
3: an official complaint with this plan, <laughs> in that I think it's going to be dumb. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Come on, I'm the attack helicopter of death. If you throw a bunch of buffs at me, it'll be fine.
3: I'm just going to sit in the tiny hut and learn my new spells, <laughs> while you go do your thing.
1: You need what, 79 hours?
3: Um, I think it was only 73 not exaggerate
1: she'll
2: roll a 20 and then she'll just learn them all right away that's how that works right that is not
1: we're we're playing by the rules (laughs) all right and that's an episode we will talk to all of you next week bye